Hold the Line with Mike Solon is brought to you by the Seattle Police Officers Guild. Seattle's public safety voice. No, I think he's a weak little kid. At the end of the day, I think he's just a, a fragile guy who got spooked by the people in the mm-hmm. audience. Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. It's been a bit since uh, we launched a podcast, but due to how long it's been, I've been trying to get this man in studio, and he's finally here. We grabbed a hold of what I call one of Seattle's true media personalities that gives you the truth. Jason Rance, welcome to studio with uh, me, Hold the Line with Mike Solon. I appreciate it. I've been waiting to come in. You finally, really? we finally were able to actually get a date going, and here I am. Is the microphone okay? I feel like it's kind of in the way. You're all right with that? Yeah. Okay. You know, I do talk into a microphone. I know you do, but it's just the arm here is kind of like, it's a bit, it's a bit obnoxious. Oh, it's fine. All right. Okay. Jason is a professional, and before we started, I basically was trying to go through some things with him. He's like, look, I'm a professional. He's like, I get it. I understand. But, um, no, man, I got a lot of respect for you, and as you know that... Uh, you know, the police officers respect the hell out of you. Thank you. Because you stand up for cops. And that's one of the things that I admire about you. Even with the onslaught of nonsense that gets thrown at you. Man, you stand in that breach and I really appreciate it. And you know what? You're not a police apologist. You actually talk the way it is when it's unreasonable, right? That's what I admire about you. So walk us through real quick who the hell you are and why did you gravitate towards Seattle and just getting into talk radio and just writing. Yeah, I mean, wow, because I got into talk radio when I was 15 years old. So I got in very, very, very young. I was always sort of that nerd listening to talk radio. I remember listening to Stern with my dad. He was someone who was basically working out of his car. And so when I would go with him on some of the work days when I was off from school, that's pretty much all we did was listen to the radio. And I found myself enamored with the medium, even though at the time I didn't know why, but I was gravitating towards it. And so I started with a, a screener job when we used to have screeners in radio. Picking like, what, up. like what's a screener job for people? Literally answering the phones for people who want to go on to a talk show. We used to take phone calls, which yeah. is... Random people call in and say, I want to talk about yeah. X. And, and it's been, you know, radio has evolved since then. Yeah. I don't think I've ever taken a phone call actually as a talk show host, at least here in Seattle. But I, I started as a screener and I worked my way up. I pretty much held every position you could on the production side of things, I was producing local radio. I got into producing and writing for a syndicated show. I was an executive producer, program director. So I pretty much worked my way up. And then here in Seattle, there was an opening on weekends on Cairo, which I was interested in. I took that position. Then it just so happened there was an evening position that was open. They moved me there. And then I moved over to KTTH when there was an opening in Morning Drive, mm-hmm. which I hated. Getting up at three o'clock, three thirty. I just, remember I, that when it you was, were around the morning. It was awful. I liked what I was doing, but I hated the schedule because you're always basically rushing to get home to fall asleep at like at the latest eight o'clock, or yeah. you're just totally screwed the next day. And then there was an opening in afternoons, and I was able to slot into that, and I've been doing that for a while. Well, you do a great job of it, man. Thank you. Uh, you really do. You're. Um, I think you. 
you're a voice. And what I mean by that, you, I think you are the voice along with, uh, you, you know, the other people in the market. I mean, mm-hmm. and the fact that you hammer out articles all the time, to me, your work ethic is second to none. I mean, it's impressive because the amount of content you're putting out there, man, I think it's second to none. Well, thank you. I don't have a life, so I don't know if it's healthy. You heard it here first. Yeah, I'm, not a, have a life. I'm open about that. I, I've committed a lot of my time to work. It's been intentional. I started during COVID where I decided, especially at the beginning where everything was closed and there was really nothing to do anyway, mm-hmm. I just dove in. And I was yeah. able to really set up a schedule of just creating content until it became just a part of my day. And so I just never gave up on that. I get it. So you're constantly typing working, but you wouldn't consider yourself a journalist. I am a journalist. I wouldn't consider myself a reporter. That's what it is. Then what's the difference then? So a journalist is a media member who talks about the news. I think a journalist can be someone who gives opinion and analysis, but also break news. A, A reporter reports the news and does so from an objective standpoint and tries to keep out analysis. I don't do that. I do hybrid. So I will present news. Mm-hmm. I will often do exclusive news reporting, but then I put in my opinion. Yeah. I don't hide that. There are a lot of media members who want to pretend that they're totally objective and they're nonpartisan and they have no take. They're just like, no, you're framing stories in a certain way because you have a political opinion. Everyone has opinions, right? Yeah. I acknowledge mine. And the people who do their job well on the reporting side do their best to set aside their bias, but you have to recognize that you have one. I 100% have a bias in everything I cover. I acknowledge that by saying, I'm giving you my opinion. Yeah, I, I look at this all the time because I'm a news junkie um, because I think it's fascinating. But do you think there are many reporters left in the United States? Let's just talk with Seattle and then in the United States. Yeah, I, look, I think Seattle's media scene is relatively weak. I'm just not a fan of some of the news coverage that we get, mostly because you don't see dots getting connected for the consumer, right? You you hear transactional approaches to stories. Here's what happened. Here's where it happened. And then they kind of move on to some puff piece. I think that you should be, as a consumer, you should know why something is happening beyond the obvious. Why did the shooting occur? Well, because there was a bad guy with a gun. Okay, yes, I got I got that part. But why, why did that person have a gun? Why did this crime happen in this way, in this area of the state? What happened leading up to it? That's the kind of stuff that I'm most interested in. And, uh, you know, again, just because I, I work in radio and I recognize that radio is one medium. Mm. You have to be in digital. You have to be able to do all these other things. And so I'm trying to give everyone what they might reasonably want out of a story versus just giving them one aspect and then having them go somewhere else yeah, they, to they, find something else. That's a great way to put it. Um, I kind of, I, I agree with you. But uh, just to kind of back up for, for, from, you know, your history, how did you gravitate to a more, was, could, would conservative be a good mantra for you or a good yeah, tag? I'm a conservative. I, I, so I went into college not, I would argue I was probably liberal when I went into college, but I recognized, and I've always been the kind of person who, when you tell me I'm supposed to think something or I'm supposed to do something, I just gravitate towards the other side. Yeah, because you're just like, a why? jerk like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't like to go along. And when I was, I was always interested in politics, and that was actually my, my major at Occidental. And the Politics 101 course was 98% liberal leaning. 
and in some cases, socialist. And I recognized that early on. And I started to do my own research on the various topics, did my own reading, started listening even more to talk radio in particular. And talk radio has been, you know, 99% of it is dominated by, by conservative talk. Sure. And I started to form my worldview based on that. And so you can thank all the liberals in college for pushing me uh, further to the right. Well, that's cool. That's a good way to describe it. Um, I mean, I think it's impressive. I mean, obviously, we we represent a lot of cops now under a thousand people because of the defunding nonsense. But a lot of us have just different viewpoints on ideology, politics, and yeah. whatnot. And, you know, what's great is that we're trying to bring in more guests to just to push a law enforcement narrative to correct the false narratives that are out there because the lack of reporting or the lack of why conversations or the lack of interest. I, I generally, yeah. oh, that's a good way to put it. I, I generally think that the media has a disinterest in stories around policing. Why? And I, I think because they they perceive it as being a right wing issue, which I don't think it is. I don't think the average person well, views it should it that be nonpartisan. Way. It's. It is nonpartisan, yeah. but I think the way that they view it, because of a small group of activists within the community, and clearly the media marketplace is mm -hmm. more left-wing, the audience is obviously more left-wing, and I think it's become so politicized that they just either stay away because it's not worth it to them, mm -hmm. because if, God forbid, they do a story that is positive towards policing, all of a sudden they're going to get accused of being a bootlicker. Yeah, exactly. Right? We, we hear that stuff all the time, and I think they just want to stay away from it. And then you also have people who I just don't think understand policing at all. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is to try to under, just put a narrative out there, but I think the correct narrative to a degree of just explaining things, because I think we do a horrendous job explaining yeah. our actions. Some of that is because we can't really comment legally because it's still, you know, a process in the courts. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you have body-worn video out there or you have an incident, somebody needs to get out there and tell you how it really is versus, I think, you know, no th shade at the department, Seattle Police Department, they're a great agency, but they really can't get in the muck to really explain things as to why, right? They just have to you be, have to connect the here dots. are the facts. Yeah, You and, have and to bring, provide context. And that's exactly. really the only context that we have is platforms like you, talk radio, journalists such as yourself that can provide context and explain the why or dig into at least the why provide answers. But then I think locally here, police unions, and then you look broadly across the nation, police unions and police associations, because they can get into the politics and explain why. Um, it's one of the reasons why we're under attack, but I'll digress. Um, you know, we do get shade, probably get some shade having you on here. It's like, see, I told you, you know, you got this conservative on, but the reason why I say that is because, when I reach out to progressives or liberals, none of them really want to come, want to come on the show yeah. because they don't want to have an intellectual conversation as to the why. Yeah. And, and you know, it's the same thing for me. I, I would love to have more progressive guests on the show, lawmakers. We invite them on. Some come on and, you know, kudos to them. We have good relationships with, with members of Congress who mm -hmm. are on the left. I think uh, whether or not they do it because they realize the reach is important versus sincerely being interested in a conversation doesn't matter to me because yeah, yeah. the end result is the same. But we have a lot of folks who just refuse to come on or refuse to even comment on stories. I, I get the refusal to comment on a story because it just gives me something to go off of that yeah. they don't, they, they, they think, I believe they think that they're trying, if they starve me of information, it'll be less for me to do. But all that does is make me suspicious and then dig, dig further, further into a story. And I can't tell you how many times because someone has just completely 
ignored requests that I have developed a better story because of what that forced me to do. Well, let's get into that. So um, when you do a PDR or request into public affairs specific to Seattle Police Department, what's the typical uh, response or how are you treated? So I'm actually, I'm, I'm treated well by the communications So the professional up there. Yeah. When, when I ask for comment, I usually get it. They're honest with me on stuff that they can't comment Mm -hmm. on. Uh, You know, this is a little bit different because I have so many contacts within the department. So I don't have to lean on the communications team as much as I otherwise might have to. PDRs are incredibly slow. God bless all of you who are doing the boring work. uh, But it takes sometimes two years to get information back. And, you know, I'm awfully suspicious of that. I don't think it should take this long. I get the whole process, but it definitely should not take as long as it does. And so I then am forced to rely on people who can give me some information and provide some context. And, you know, many times they're proactive and reach out to me. Other times I'm reaching out to them. And, you know, it's all done in good faith because I'm trying to get answers to questions. And, if Mm -hmm. you know, if going through the official avenues is is not being fruitful, well, then I'm going to go somewhere else if I know there's a story there. Outside of policing, I have a pretty, maybe I'm just a bigger jerk now, but when I get ignored by a communications person, I will PDR their emails for the entire week of that question that I've asked. See, communications people don't, just Just, don't, just, just, just be authentic and just give it to them. Yeah, because right? now you're forcing me to dig into all of yeah. this. I want to know whether or not you're purposefully ignoring me, which I already know the answer to, but I want to see if you're putting dumb enough to put it in writing. And there are a lot of people who are really stupid and put things in writing that they shouldn't <laughs> put. And you're forcing this upon me. Yeah. I would not do it if you answered or at least made an attempt in good faith to get me an answer. Right. And the communications people who I know don't like me but at least try well, to be honest with like me you? because I'm honest like about the stories and they don't like the framing of things. Got it. I, I think that, especially I get this with schools all the time, they don't like the attention. And I bring attention to stories because I think what's going on in schools is absurd. But the ones who at least attempt to give me the information that they're supposed to give me, I have a lot of respect for them. And I do look at those stories slightly differently because I'm not going to expand the scope of my story as I otherwise would be forced into because they're keeping quiet. Yeah. Well, that connects the dots because then you develop more of a story as to why, why are you, it would appears to be hiding, hiding the story, hiding. Yeah, the when lead. you're hiding something, I know that there's something else there. Yeah. So I already know generally when I take on a story, I already know the answer generally speaking, but many times I've found stories just in blanket public disclosure requests that I've done for some other reason. And they go, oh, wait, I, did I just read that in that email? Because I actually go through everything. I, I so read you do everything. your own research. I do the research. And I have found stories that I didn't intend to cover because the people wanted to shut me out of the conversation. So that should be a lesson. I think there's a takeaway here that the lesson should be don't shut them out and just do your job. Do your, that's seriously, just do better. your job. Uh, again, you, pro if you, the, the people, I th- sometimes I think they believe that by not responding means I'm just going to go away or anyone will go away. And maybe some journalists do go away because yeah. it's just too much work. Fair and I, I, I get it. it. It is a lot of work, but that makes me more interested in covering the story. Yeah. 
In fact, if you really want me to not do anything, just give me everything and just overload me with information. So do you, do you have a handler? Like, does somebody say, hey, Jason, we've got this, go dig it up? Or are, do you mostly the pit bull that, that does a lot of the oh, research? I'm, I, everything I do is because I'm choosing to do it. That's great. No one assigns So you're saying anything. you have no management at all? I have management. I, give, I have an editor. I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> no, but people think I don't have any management. I have an editor. They don't assign me anything. I take on the stories that I'm interested in, and I, that's what I appreciate about you know, the, the editors over at MyNorthwest.com. Now, if I'm writing for a, a different outlet like Deseret News mm-hmm. or Newsweek or Fox News, mm-hmm. we'll discuss the topic that I'm going to cover beforehand. Gotcha. Because they have to have their bottom line met to make sure they're not getting anything they don't want to get into, right? Well, they, they want to make sure. Well, it's more that they don't want to do anything that their audience doesn't want yeah. to read. Yeah, and, it. you know, for me, with MyNorthwest.com and KTTH.com, you know, sometimes my stories don't get a whole lot of clicks, but I and I know that going in, but I want to do the story anyway for a variety of reasons. Yeah, so what you're describing is you're like a self-made man. Like you you've, you started from the ground up and you just continue to have that work ethic. So I work definitely ethic worked pays off to get to this place. And you're still working your butt off. Yeah, I, and but you know, it's also I think some people are just sort of wired in certain ways. Some people need to constantly do stuff. I don't even necessarily think that's healthy. Uh, in fact, I know it's not healthy, and yet that's just how I'm wired. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, in terms of being a journalist and digging up digging up narratives, if you will, and then connecting dots, obviously the big dot this past week was the tragedy that occurred downtown in District 7, Councilmember Andrew Lewis's district. Mm-hmm. It's the tragic... It's district. Yeah, well, tragic homicide of the local business owner, female, Asian-American, who randomly was killed by some, what appears to be a stranger, some lunatic that uh, decided to pull a handgun out and start firing rounds into her Tesla. Killed her and killed her eight-month-old baby. Yeah. It's one of those stories that I, I get the sense that people have started to get more activated in the community as a result of. I think, you know, with tragedy, there's obvious consequences right for for a community for a neighborhood for uh, an entire city there's political consequences oftentimes and and in this case i think it really got a lot of people to start thinking about this issue of crime in a much deeper way and i think part of it is not just because you know it, it was a pregnant woman which is just so disturbing but just the the random nature of it yeah. And everyone's starting to think a little bit differently, like, that could be me. I could just be walking down the street and someone could attack me. And they know things are going in the wrong direction. I think for the longest time, folks have had blinders on. I think too many people in Seattle will isolate themselves and get into too much of an echo chamber. I think that there's this belief that whenever you criticize the direction that the city is going in, you're, you're aligning yourself with like Fox news. I, yeah. when I started covering chop back uh, in 2020, I was getting comments from people who live in the city saying I was making everything up that this wasn't really happening. You're just lying for Fox news. I'm like, dude, I've got video. What are you right. talking about? So they have this belief that if Fox News is saying it, it doesn't exist. They've convinced themselves that nothing is wrong or whatever is wrong is being blown out of proportion because it didn't impact them at that moment. But as, you know, parents started taking their kids to parks 
and then realizing it was completely taken over by homeless, all of a sudden they say to themselves, oh, maybe it is pretty bad when they suffer a break-in. Yeah, when, say, it, when it impacts them at their doorstep. Yeah, and yeah. that's a scary place, I think, for people to be, that you're only going to accept a reality when you're the victim. Yeah. Because I don't want anyone to be a victim. But if that's what it's going to take, that's what it's going to take. And if it takes a sincerely grotesque and tragic murder like this to wake people up, at least she won't die in vain. At least maybe something can change as a result. I wish it didn't have to happen. I wish it didn't have to take that kind of tragedy, but sometimes it does. Yeah, to wake people up. Yeah, so people can actually understand there are consequences Mm. to constantly ignoring the problems or voting for the same kinds of people who pursue the same policies. And that's why I'm so critical of the media. I can point to policies that are responsible for all sorts of issues, not just in Seattle, but across the state and really across the country. And when you're not told that, you're not going to make better decisions when you're voting because you're not thinking about it in terms of, oh, there's a policy reason for this to happen or a person who's helping create this environment. And that's the why. That's the connection of the dots. Exactly. And yeah. it makes people uncomfortable uh, in the media to do that because it's, it, there's a nuance to doing it in, a, in, in an objective way, something I don't have to worry about because mm-hmm. I'm not objective. I tell you what I think is yeah, responsible. Yeah, because you're up front. Yeah, I'm totally up front. And it's hard. If, if I was going to do that in a more nuanced way, it's good. it would be difficult, but I do think it's possible. Well, I went to that uh, rally uh, earlier, about an hour and a half ago, um, there at 4th and Lenora, where she was tragically taken in terms of being shot and killed. Um, I feel bad, obviously, for her and her family, the, the eight-month-old, um, but also the first responders. I mm-hmm. mean, the, some of the stuff I've heard from those, the people that responded was pretty tragic. Um, graphic, f- significant, just just the tragedy of it, and I think the human factor with that is like it it trickles down, and yeah. it's 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 real. So like today, you know, I spoke with Jonathan Cho, who was there, um, and just other people. It felt it felt different. I don't different in a positive way, meaning that this was real. It's like, it, mm-hmm. it was almost like what you talked about earlier, as far as people feeling crime at their doorstep, this felt as if it impacted everybody at their doorstep. Does that well, make sense? Yeah. And you saw people that you don't normally see. Absolutely. And, I, and that's you know, what it's about. hundred percent agree with you. And I was just like, well, where's council member Lewis here? Mm-hmm. Where's the leadership? I mean, if you're a politician and you, and you know, you, you're supposed to be a reflection of the community and you're to stand up for whatever values and whatever you're voting for. Uh, you got to be there. And I, the only elected official that I saw in the rally, and I think it was attended by like 200 people, was uh, City Attorney Ann Davison. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shows, to me, it's leadership. And yeah, uh, she's actually stepping up. She's I, stepping I, up. I, I think, well, I certainly understand why Andrew Lewis might feel uncomfortable because he would likely be blamed, which I don't necessarily think is fair to blame him, obviously, for an individual shooting. Sure. But I do think it's fair to criticize policies that he subscribes to and pursues which contribute to this that have created this environment yeah. that allowed this to happen see that and that's that's why I get a lot of respect for you because you do connect the dots and you and you you delineate between you can't just blame him for one specific thing yeah. i mean that's being fair but we can point to the why is because policies that he's voted for or supported have created this environment so it's kind of a catch 
or 50-50 of that, right? Yeah, Sorry. I mean, to, to a point, I think obviously there are some instances in which you can directly blame someone sure. for something. I think yeah. Shama Salwan is a great example mm-hmm. of being able to point to a person and say, yeah, she's the reason why this happened. Yeah. But I, I generally think you have to look at a bigger picture because, look, crime happens. Crime's going to happen in Seattle regardless of policies. There are bad people out there. Yeah. And perhaps if we did everything right over the course of the last few years and crime wasn't headed in the wrong direction, this still could have occurred, mm-hmm. right? And so I wouldn't be able to point to that and say, Andrew Lewis policies are responsible, or Dan Strauss, or Lisa, or whomever. Yeah. But we're clearly going in the wrong direction. We clearly have not seen a plan to address this that matters. And I think we can easily place the blame for the environment that these things are occurring sure. on and this it, council. Well, speaking of the environment is, you know, his lack of a vote for the um, drug law to be basically adopted here in city ordinance from mirrorings to a degree, the state law. Um, Do you think that that has significant implications to, I guess, our future public safety hit? Because he was the swing vote from what I know based upon information I have is that he was a yes to support it right up to the point where he said no. Yeah, because he's the kind of person who is very fragile. And when you get into uh, a space with him and you're yelling at him and you come from an activist crowd yelling at him, he's going to give in to that. And part of that is for what he thinks is political survival, right? I mean, the way he was nominated or got the position to begin with was because of activist support. It was more labor support, but Mm -hmm. it was still in the general crowd. And I think that he believes that he has to continue to maintain at least some support or at least not generate anger from the activist crowd in Seattle, which well, don't get even out, live in his district. I know, district. but they get out the vote. They do get out they the get vote, out and the that's vote. what he's scared of. And I would argue that we're headed towards a, a, a point in which that doesn't matter as much. Meaning I think the vote doesn't matter as much? The activist vote oh, okay. doesn't matter as much, because I think a lot of people now are sick of the direction that we're going in the polling is crystal clear on this. So the tide is turning. I, I do think that. I've thought that before. That's why I'm not going to hold my breath yeah, yeah, that anything's no, going to change because I've sense. had this feeling before. But this time, you know, the polling is very clear, specifically on drug use, specifically in the downtown South Lake Union area. And, you know, you look at Dan Strauss, who voted to criminalize drugs, not because he supports that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he supports that. I think he thinks that the politics behind it is smarter because he wants to stay in office. I don't care that that's the reason why he voted. I still don't think he should be reelected, obviously, because I I think he's been a total disaster. But he believes that the tide is turning, and he's also connected to that group. Yeah, so he's trying to live in both worlds, and you can't do that. You can't do that, and Andrew Lewis is going to find that out as well. Okay. Um, Do you think, from what I understand, due to the reaction of his no vote when he flipped— and the media fallout, and I would say that the reasonable community coming together to say this is a major problem. I think he's really feeling the pressure, which I would have liked to have seen him there today at this rally, to some ounce of leadership, but obviously it's non-existent. I think that after they have this task force, this five-week program they're going to do where they're going to evaluate things, I think they're going to have another vote, and then he's going to vote in the affirmative and then try to get the political win to say, listen, I wanted this, got it, to appease the activist groups, but also to appease the reasonable people just to get elected. It's all politics. So he's trying to play political gamesmanship as that he is this ultimate politician. Yeah, he's going to do that. I mean, he's really going to do what Mayor Harrell is going to do because he was absent 
during this entire debate. He could have gotten involved. He could have yeah. backed the Sarah Nelson, Alex Peterson, sure. and Davison legislator ordinance, and he chose not to do that, only to come in afterwards and basically say, we're going to pass an ordinance that's going to do what just failed. So he's working behind the scenes, and he wants to get some credit for this because kind of like Jenny Durkin, mm. I think he's always trying to manage the activist class Balance. along with it all. Yep. And it's difficult, but leaders will take tough choices. If it means, you know, pissing off a, a couple thousand activists, so, so be, be it. it. You're exactly. making the right decision that yeah. ultimately is going to help course correct and save lives. Yeah, well, he's ultimately popular still, the mayor is, right? And I think he's doing a decent job. Because he's able to stay away from all the controversies. But at some point, he's going to need to step in and use some of that popularity to overcome some of the council hijinks, for sure. Yeah, he's got to make the decision about his comfort level, sitting back and gaining some points by not losing points, by going after the activists or pushing back. But as he does that, yeah, he might maintain some popularity, but it's costing people their lives. Policies aren't changing. You said it better than I could. Well done. Do you think Andrew Lewis has mayoral uh, aspirations? Um, I don't, I don't know. He seems, he seems content being a council member. That's the, the feeling I get from him. I mean, I think he's the, he's the swing vote right now. That's, he is and that's, swing that's a lot of influence if, you know, you could try to wield that politically. And I think he's trying to wield this whole no vote to be a yes vote mm-hmm. when he publicly states, hey, I wanted this. We got it. Now I'm, I'm comfortable to do this. I, I think, though, that that was a realization that happened afterwards. Okay. Well, I don't think he goes into it thinking that. So he's I, not that strategic? No, I think he's a weak little kid. Uh, look, at the end of the day, I think he's just a, a, a fragile guy who got spooked by the people in the mm-hmm. audience and he decided to change his vote. Now, if he's smart, he'll try to turn this into a political win. And I do think he's a smart guy. I disagree with where he goes policy wise, but I think he's bright. Uh, he's going to try to turn this into a win, but that was not strategically decided beforehand. Yeah. Okay. Um, pivoting to what's this mean for Seattle moving forward? I mean, you said the, the, the tide is turning to a degree Obviously, he's being challenged by uh, Olga mm-hmm. in District 7. There's also another individual, Kettle, who's, who's running as well. Um, and, you know, I think the districts across the, the city that are up, I think we've got an interesting race. You did a, you know, you looked into some of the activists that are running 45% are definitely anti-police, which is a concern. How do we get the reasonable people in Seattle, outside of having crime impact them, and then influencing them. How do we get them to participate in voting for reasonable people and also participating in public comment? Because if you pay attention to public comment at the council meetings, it's a complete disaster. Yeah, you're not going to change it. That's the truth. You're never going to change public comment. When you have a meeting at like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, people are at work. Yeah. When you're doing it on a Thursday at 6 p.m., you're picking up your kids from soccer practice. The The average person is not going to be able to, to change that. And for the most part, the public comment doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't, unless you choose to make it mean something. Yeah. And I think sometimes folks will, in the media, will present the public comment as if that's a reflection of the general area. And it is clearly not. I think for folks to change, I truly believe they're going to have to experience some sort of issue personally or know someone who did. I, I'm not going to pretend that this city is going to all of a sudden 
wake up change. They're, they're just not. If that was going to happen, it would have happened the last election. It didn't. I, I'd like to see what the primary ends up generating. There are there's reasons to, to believe that West Seattle is going to go in a more sane direction mm-hmm. based on just the numbers of people who are running, the majority of which seem relatively reasonable. Deborah Juarez's position, however, I'm very terrified of. Yeah. Because while I don't view her necessarily as a moderate, I don't view her as a crazy person, and she's got a lot of crazy running in that particular race. Yeah, well, all, we're, all we're asking for, for just you know, city employees, cops that do provide the public safety service, is just... Can you can you just give us somebody that's moderate, reasonable? I mean, it. I mean, the council position. I mean, it's not a lot of money, you know, for a full time gig and the amount of scrutiny that they have. So that's why you have people that I think gravitate to those positions. It doesn't really, you can't really get reasonable people to run to a degree, right? Unless they're going to get attacked if they do. Yeah, I think it's more the attack factor. Okay. I just think a lot of people look at this and say, "Man, it's not worth getting doxxed. It's not worth yeah. having people show up to my home." It's not worth that kind of hassle. And I understand that. Believe me, I I totally get that. I don't want to run for office at any point ever for similar reasons. I just don't want to deal with that. And I I am grateful, though, that this time around, there's at least enough good candidates. Mm -hmm. Whether it's enough to get into the general, I don't know. For hope. So so you're saying you're describing that there's hope. And I believe I have to be an optimist in this role. And uh, we're, we're hoping that there's moderate people that can make the right decision. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I do like Olga in that particular race. And again, I think West Seattle actually has a, a good handful of candidates. That's good. Yeah, D1's pretty pretty profound. Okay, so with the new council, I mean, obviously the existing council to, to, to transition to like SPOG, what the hell SPOG does. Well, we're here to advocate for the police officers, sergeants and uh, officers and detectives for hours, wages and working conditions and then obviously stand up for them publicly. Do you think that we can still get a contract over the goal line here with this current council? And I'll give a bit of an update for the audience. We're now two and a half years working under an expired labor contract. We're number 18 in the state in terms of pay, where we used to be number one. And we've lost close to 600 people in three years due to the toxic political climate. And what I would call is um, more attention and support for criminals than police officers. And so the laws are reflective of that. And the last thing I'll add here with the agency, and I love the Seattle Police Department, they took a chance on me and I'm very grateful for that. But over the course of, I would say a decade, and I would say it excelled at a catastrophic rate in the past three years, we've policied ourselves out of being an effective police force. So how do we retain our current people? How do we recruit our current people with the understanding that we're without a labor contract, although we're negotiating with the city and we've been extremely reasonable at the table? How do we connect with this current council? And is there hope for the future council? So I think you have some positive and negatives with this particular council. And the positive is that there is a re-election going on. You're not going to win Tammy Morales. She hates you guys. You're not going to win over any of the Come council on, members who are not running for re-election with the exception of a Deborah Juarez. Mm-hmm. So really you're focused on Dan Strauss and Andrew Lewis. Dan Strauss has indicated he's willing to make political votes that align with reason. Public safety. Yes. Andrew Lewis, don't know. Yeah, he's, he's the, the swing he, vote. He truly is going to be the swing vote. And 
if enough public polling suggests that he cannot take these fringe positions anymore, I don't think he will. But he's very weak at the end of the day. And, you know, part of me wonders if it's worth the risk of waiting for the next council. Yeah. If it is, in fact, going to be more reasonable, you might get a better contract. I hear you. And that's that's what we're balancing every day that I'm yeah. here. Um, and it's it's a daunting task, but we're, you know, we're up for it. We're going to keep grinding and uh, try to represent the officers because, man, we can't, you, you know, you report on this. We can't lose any more, any more cops. Well, that's also on the mayor who needs to yeah, step up. Fair point. He will be, I'm assuming, marching at the pride parade where cops have been banned again from marching in uniform. I reached out to the mayor's office to get comment. I've not heard back yet. If it's like last year, I will not hear back. And I think that a mayor who chooses to march in a parade that has banned police officers is sending the worst possible message to officers at a time when we know cops are leaving because of bad management. At a historic rate. Yeah, and basically it ties into what we talked about 15 minutes ago, roughly, that we have to have him start using his popularity to then circumvent some yeah. of these political issues. But he's got, he has to get away from the pol- political cowardice, and I don't yeah. know if he's willing to Lead. do that. Actually be a leader. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in San Francisco last year, London Breed said, no, I'm not going to march because of their policy on police. Yeah. And for Mayor Harrell to not at least acknowledge the policy. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing for the media to push on him. Yeah, I'm going to push on it. I'm one person. I'd like to see King and Cairo. Well, King's never going to do that. But Cairo and and Fox and Como Mm -hmm. ask that question. Yeah, I mean, we put a press release out yesterday. We'll put a link in the description along with these news stories that we highlighted here today. And to us, it's the same old, same old. It's, uh, you know, we have a lot of SPOG members that are proud LGBTQ um, and that serve this community with dis- distinction. And anybody that's then targeted because they're the police, to me, that's absolutely bigoted. Yeah. So media, step up, ask the question. Yeah, absolutely do your job. Yeah. All right, kind of closing up here, man. Um, next steps... Obviously, we need, you know, we can still work with this current council um, with the swing vote being Lewis. Politics is swaying him one way or the other. The possibility of moderates getting into office here coming up in the new election. What do you think are the next steps for Seattle to climb out of this crisis so we don't become the next Portland or San Francisco? People have to make better decisions. Vote. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, when I focus on policy, the good news is policy can be changed. Yeah. Culture can't be changed overnight. Policies can. Changing a policy doesn't change the culture of lawlessness overnight, but it does push us in the right direction. And so if we make better decisions, we put better people into office, yeah, you can start making some actual change. But that also means... Continuing to put bad people into office means you're only going to further deteriorate this city. And if you want to look what it, if you want to see what it's like to die as a city in real time, turn to San Francisco. San Francisco is a dying city in real time. Real time. It's literally floating right this moment because of policy decisions. And some folks woke up and they tried to make better decisions. They got rid of Chesa Boudin. That was the right move. They got rid of three of their school board members, that was the right decision. But that came almost too very late. late. It's almost too late. And it might be too late. Gosh, just got chills thinking about that, man. We can't have that happen here in Seattle, but I feel like we're on that trajectory. We're on the trajectory. We're just, we're not too far gone yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. 
And we can pretend otherwise. I love the people who say, oh, Seattle's not dying. Look, Benbridge just opened a, a shop in downtown Seattle. It's like, oh, my God. Come on. Th- these are people who don't probably they, even live in Seattle. They don't live in reality. They don't live in downtown, certainly. Yeah. Uh, I live in that area. Cool. A business that had already made the decision to move there before a lot of this nonsense mm-hmm. opened up their shop. Oh, no. So what's next for Jason Rance? What's next for Jason Rance? I know that, you know, we talked a bit earlier, and then we actually went to the Freedom Series you guys did a few weeks ago. You can check that out. We'll put it in the description. You did a great job with that, by the way. Yeah, that, that was, was a fun. great panel was I was fun. on. Um, you're soon to launch a book, What's Killing America? Yes, What's tell, Killing tell me America? About it. Tell it's, the audience about it. It's a book about just that, What's Killing America? I, I tackle the policies that are destroying Democrat-run cities, Subtitle of the book is The uh, Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. And it doesn't just get into the policies, but it connects the dots. I explain why why. this is happening. Why is a policy pursued? Why is an ideological belief what it is? How do they get to that point? Who are the people who are responsible? And I focus on the radical left, not the left, not Democrats, but the radical elements within the Democrat Party because they're in charge of major cities that are on the decline. Mm. And the data is crystal clear. We know exactly what's happening. I think we know why, but because local media around the country doesn't connect the dots, I committed to writing a book that connects the dots. It's in two parts. The first part is about individual policy that shapes how we live. Second part is individual policy that tells us how to live and forces us to live a certain way. So we cover everything from crime and homelessness and drug use to housing and transportation, immigration, education. And it's a book by Center Street and Hachette Publishing. It's a pretty big uh, publishing house. So I'm grateful that they reached out to me for this. And it comes out September 26th. Well, man, I think it's a tribute to how much work you put in. You talked about how you started in the business and you absolutely work your ass off. And it's, uh, it's reflective in your work. And not many people can say have the pedigree that you have. Um, I number one, thank you for all your hard work, for, you know, standing up for cops. Thank you. And you're not a police apologist. You actually ask the hard questions and you're reasonable with it. Um, we'll put a link in the description. What's killing America inside the radicals left tragic destruction of our cities. It says here on Amazon that it's going to be launched end of September. Is that correct? Yeah, September 26th. It comes out. You can pre-order it right now. We had a very good first week and I'm, uh, as I told you, I'm a not a healthy person, so I'm constantly refreshing. Maybe we can change see that. what the numbers are. You want it to not be a good no, second week? No. What I'm talking about is you getting to be a more healthy person. Yeah, so that's you not going to happen. Because you can it's stay around happen. this earth a little bit longer. I'll, I'll be around this earth fine. I'll just be um, angry all the time. <laughs> Let's get you into work. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jason Rance, Facebook at Jason Rance Show. Instagram, I'm, I'm everywhere. Download the podcast, of course, for my show. And I host on 770 AM KTTH afternoons, 3 to 7 PM. One thing before you're going to, we're going to part ways here is um, what are you going to do? No, that Tucker Carlson's no longer on Fox. I mean, you used to be a mainstay with his show. I was. I learned that I was his most frequent guest of last year and the year before, which I did not realize. It's a big deal. It was a big deal. I'm, I'm sad to see him go. He's obviously doing his Twitter show that will be expanding. I, I hope to be a part of that. I'm still on Fox News four or five times a week, so I'm still doing that. I'm 
I, I go where uh, I'm needed. Good job, man. Well, hats off to you. Thanks again Thank for making, making the time here. You heard it first, Jason Rance in studio. Thankful to him uh, to give us his time. And um, we'll have every link in the description. Remember, we need you to get involved, share this podcast, and try to have a an answer to his book, which is What's Killing America. Maybe if we rally behind reason and moderate causes, we can try to stop what's killing America for sure. Stand up for your local law enforcement, vote, and get involved. Thanks for attending. We'll talk to you. Bye. Cool.